Welcome to the LoveWorks Discourses, where we explore the power of love and compassion to change lives and transform our world. This is your host, Christine Miller, a passionate advocate for love at work in our world. I've explored love in my own life and in recent years have witnessed unearthed and encouraged love's presence in leadership and organisations. I've had the powerful experience of talking to over 700 people about aspects of love, and I'm absolutely certain of the transformational power of compassion and caring. I know for sure that this love stuff really works. Now, love has a multitude of meanings, both individual and global. What we talk about at LoveWorks when we talk about love is the kind of big love that embraces compassion, kindness, trust and respect, gratitude and fairness, a whole spectrum of values and virtues that represent being and becoming our better selves. Today, I'm thrilled to be talking to Dr. James Doty about, yes, you guessed, love. We arranged to chat earlier in 2022. Sometimes, though, the very best things take longer to come to fruition than we expect. This happened with the conversation about love and compassion that Dr. Doty and I had planned. First, there were technical challenges, then illness intervened, and it took me several months to recover. I had to be patient and compassionate with myself, and I'm really thankful that Dr. Doty was, not unsurprisingly given who he is, also very patient and understanding about the delays. It was truly lovely to be accommodated so kindly and with such great compassion by him and his team. With a highly successful career, Dr. Doty is a neurosurgeon, a neuroscientist, an adjunct professor in the Department of Neurosurgery at Stanford University School of Medicine. He's the founder and director of Stanford University's Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and education, of which His Holiness the Dalai Lama is the founding benefactor. Dr. Doty works with a variety of scientists from a number of disciplines, examining the neural basis for compassion and altruism. Dr. Doty is also the author of Into the Magic Shop, a neurosurgeon's quest to discover the mysteries of the brain and the secrets of the heart a New York Times and global bestseller, which has now been translated into 40 languages and editions. He also describes himself as a compassionate leader, a philanthropist, and generally a nice guy trying to be better. So, as we talk about love, Dr. Doty, I'd like to ask you, what does the word love mean to you in the context of your life generally? I think that uh, for me, love is unconditional and uh, non-judgmental, and it embraces who you are with acceptance and acknowledgement, and it then allows you to be your authentic self with someone without the anxiety that most of us feel oftentimes in many social situations. Certainly in regard to a partner, I think that ability to be authentic and 
accepted allows for true communication and to be present. In terms of the corporate environment, I think in many ways it's similar in that the most effective leaders, I believe, are accepting, non-judgmental, and understand that every human has positives and negatives, and in the face of that, makes a judgment that that person is worthy of their time and worthy of that time investment in making them the best people that they can be. And it's this sense of, uh, obviously we've uh, indicated this isn't about sex or anything like that, but it's a acknowledgement of another human being and an acknowledgement that we are interdependent and that all of us suffer and to offer, again, unconditional acceptance and uh, non-judgment. And this sets the stage for one being present, and it sets the stage that allows an individual to thrive because they're not focused on uh, being judged. And how do you express love in your life? What do you love and value most in your life? Well, I think uh, uh, certainly doing your best to be honest with yourself and others, accepting your humanity and imperfection and incompleteness, and being with people who believe and act the same way. This is not to say that um, everything is perfect and you don't have the ups and downs, which are typical of life, but by being with somebody who accepts you for who you are and believes in you makes um, those down times much more tolerable and allows you to understand that uh, almost all of those events are transitory and that, uh, if you will, there will be better days. And this feeling and assurance that you're not alone and that you're uh, part of something, I think, uh, sets the groundwork uh, for you thriving as a human being. And have you ever told a colleague at work that you love them? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, and I think probably by the nature of who I am, this probably doesn't surprise many people. <laughs> but of course, uh, I tell anyone who's close to me that I love them and I value their presence and I value their contribution. And I have no uh, issues with that. It doesn't make me feel more or less of a man. It makes me feel like I'm human. And acknowledging that you love somebody, acknowledging that their presence makes you better yourself, I think is very powerful. It's powerful for you, but I think it also is very powerful for the other person because it makes them feel that they're not a widget or cog in a big machine, but that you value their individuality, who they are, what they can contribute, and also acknowledge that their presence makes you better, makes if in regard to the corporate environment, uh, a better place. And do you ever say, I love my job, I love this company, uh, I love this organization? Of course. 
and I feel very blessed to be involved in the projects uh, that I'm involved with. And if you want to call them corporate entities or academic entities or whatever, you know, I feel very fortunate and uh, I do love it. Uh, you know, <laughs> I tell people if I wake up in the morning, I'm happy and uh, in love with the world. So, you know, if that's your baseline, you cannot not be happy, right? If, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so- do you think that the workplace climate in general, um, in which values like love and compassion, trust, honesty and respect, do you think that they've changed in recent times in the way that, that people are able to express those values? Well, I certainly wouldn't make a broad-reaching statement uh, like that because I don't think that has happened, at least not uh, in what I have observed. I certainly think that there are now many enlightened companies in which those values are um, uh, present and uh, encouraged. And I believe that in those types of environments, people are more productive, they're more thoughtful, they're more sensitive to their surroundings, and also to the nature of suffering in general, not only for themselves, but uh, you know, for other uh, people at work. Uh, but I would say that is not common, although it is more common. And I think that's the reason that is, is based on the fact that there is an ever-increasing amount of science which validates that love and compassion uh, actually are very powerful in regard to the corporate environment. When you have employees who are appreciated and acknowledged, they will actually work uh, much harder. They will be much more productive. And uh, that will manifest itself also in regard to the company itself in terms of expenditure of resources. And what I mean by that is in these types of uh, loving, compassionate workplaces, HR resources are decreased because people like their job, they want to be promoted, they want to engage with that quote-unquote tribe, and thus you have less turnover. In terms of healthcare costs, there's a huge benefit, especially in, as an example, tech companies that typically employ people from you know, 25 to 45 because they don't have traditional health issues such as diabetes or heart conditions or things like this. But in uncaring environments, the expenditures on uh, mind-body disconnects like headache, uh, gastrointestinal problems, back pain, neck pain, stress, anxiety, depression are dramatically increased. And when you create an environment of love and compassion and acceptance, those expenditures are markedly decreased. And then, of course, secondarily, as a result of both those and increase in productivity, the shareholder value actually increases for those exact reasons. And it also attracts people with similar mindsets. Now, of course, all of these have to uh, come down, if you will, from the leader of the company and defining a mission that includes that. But I think it's extraordinarily powerful. Yes, I, I have some really interesting stories of people I've interviewed where they have perhaps been somewhat skeptical to begin with. One is the CEO of a, a major retail chain in the UK 
he was initially quite prickly and said, well, I only think of love in terms of family. I never really think of it in terms of my business environment. And uh, we we had a similar conversation to the one that you and I are having now, where we explored what love meant to him and how it could be broadened. And he he didn't say too much towards the end, but he he telephoned me about three four months later, and he said, uh, "I really have to say, Christine, that our conversation was transformational because." I was in one of the branches of our stores and they were they have I think 75 or 80 stores and uh, this store was some, somewhere around number 80 and he was trying to find out what the problem was why this store was a had massive staff turnover and b the financial turnover was pretty poor also and he said, so I was talking to the, the manageress and I said to her, look, why don't you try this? Why don't you try being more loving towards your staff and encouraging your staff to be more loving towards your customers? And something like eight to ten weeks later, this store had risen to somewhere in the about number 35 or 40 and the manageress was absolutely delighted. And he went in to see her again. And her comment to him was, I just have to say, this love stuff really works. Um, because she'd taken, he'd taken it on board from our relatively short conversation. She'd taken it on board and it had served not only to transform the atmosphere and the HR aspects of, of retaining staff, and having engagement, but also that the customers were were spending more money, and they they had far more customers. So I feel really joyful when I get these responses and this feedback that that a simple conversation, which just serves to make it okay to talk about love, to to make it okay to be loving and caring. You don't need anything very complicated. It's actually very simple. And just really, I guess, a mind and heart set shift. So, yes, I I agree with you uh, completely on that. I'm very keen to talk to you about the neuroscience work and the the power of the vagus nerve and the the work that you've done around that because it seems to me that. Um, having listened to quite a few of your your talks, that that if we could help people to stimulate the vagus nerve to be and become more conscious, then we could probably have some more rapid change and a more compassionate and caring world. So I don't know if you'd like to comment on on that. Uh, well, I think. Uh First off, everyone, if given the opportunity in the right circumstance, wants to thrive as a human being and at their core are uh, kind and compassionate. What happens is the nature of modern society chronically stimulates engagement of the autonomic nervous system, specifically the sympathetic nervous system, 
which is associated with the flight, fight, or freeze response. As, an, as a result, uh, this puts people on edge. It makes them suspicious. It decreases access to their executive control function, which allows for thoughtful decision-making. Uh, their decision-making becomes reactive and in some ways short-circuited. And, uh, of course, it results in the release of a lot of negative uh, stress hormones, such as cortisol. And it also uh, results in the release of inflammatory proteins, which, of course, are associated with chronic disease and results in decrease in uh, your immune system, as well as a negative effect on cardiac and peripheral vascular function. So, uh, you know, being chronically stressed obviously is not beneficial to oneself. And when you uh, create these environments where there's love, connection, acceptance, it has just the opposite effect. And thus why not only are people more productive, they're more present, and they have less uh, issues related to health, especially uh, mental health, but as well as physical health. And uh, so clearly the science behind this has demonstrated the value proposition of compassion and in some ways has validated why compassion is at the core of every religion. Uh, because from an experiential reality, uh, they have learned that these types of values uh, make people better and they uh, hold people together. And while every religion has its associated dogma as a result of its culture or the environment, uh, this is why fundamentally, though, compassion is at uh, the core. Now, I have to temper this, though, by saying that tribalism, where people connect with people who look like them, act like them, maybe in the same socioeconomic class or same color or same religious faith, can be extraordinarily valuable in surviving in a hostile environment because uh, there's this sense of self-protection within the tribe. That being said, though, if it's taken too far and it doesn't recognize the interdependence of all of us, but is used as a tool of separation and a, a sense of superiority, of course, then it can have a very, very negative effect. And humans, uh, oftentimes, because of some of the stresses I mentioned in modern society, oft, uh, will often gravitate towards these types of groups or, or self-identifying tribes, and uh, it may not be as positive as we would like. It may, in fact, be negative. And you can see this in uh, the United States and these uh, Christian white nationalist groups who attract a certain type of people and they wish to push their opinions on others. And I, I think it works in a whole lot of environments. But that being said, if you can be self-aware, understand who you are, the drivers behind your behaviors, then I think it allows you to actually be your best self. Yes, and in in, in your book, uh, Into the Magic Shop, you you give a series of of exercises and possibilities that you yourself experienced as a, as a young as a child, as a young man, as you grew, which actually served to to really transform the sense of possibility and the sense that 
of what was available to you that, that sort of enabled you to transcend your own circumstances and to see see how much you could achieve and that it was possible for you to achieve. You had uh, you, you had some teachers who supported this vision of you as 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 having possibility, and and also the the, uh, the teaching from the magic shop, which I think we can say just did really serve you to to be able to go on and achieve those dreams of, of being a a doctor and all the other things that you've achieved in your life. I think it's good for if it would be great for people to to read what you've written and to share your experience because I think it's quite remarkable what you have achieved. Well, that's um, I appreciate those kind words, and uh, you know I I have to say that uh, my book Into the Magic Shop, a neurosurgeon's quest to discover the mysteries of the brain and the secrets of the heart which actually is the U.S. title, and it may be titled slightly differently in other languages, but it's been quite extraordinary in that there are around 40 different translations and editions of the book, and that, extraordinarily, the Korean pop music band BTS, uh, which is extraordinarily popular, actually used my book as the basis for one of their albums called Love Yourself Tear, in which there's a song called Magic Shop there. And the fact that that occurred actually uh, raised or increased the purchase of my book uh, all over the world. And and it's been a bestseller in Russia, uh, United Arab Emirates, Poland, Romania, South Korea, and other countries. Uh, and it recently just came out in Iran. So it's uh, really quite amazing. Well, it's a fascinating book. I found it very compelling. I, I... I read it. I read it very, very quickly, and then went back and read it again, because because I really wanted to take in the what possibilities it offers. And whilst I suppose compassion is one of the is one of the main values that you talk about and embrace, how do you see compassion and love, or how do you experience compassion and love? Are they all part of the same the same thing, or do you think that they're they're different? It's, what difference would you see, or what similarities between love and compassion? Well, I think uh, in some ways, uh, compassion is uh, embraced or contained within the word love. You know, to love somebody, what do you have to do? You have to accept them as who they are. You have to recognize their dignity. You have to be non-judgmental. You have to be generous. And all of those attributes which are contained in love are, frankly, what is necessary to be compassionate. And the challenge for many people, though, is that it's easy to be compassionate and loving uh, to family members or to friends or relatives, but it becomes more of a challenge when you translate these feelings, uh, as an example, to the work environment or beyond the work environment, to the world in general, because you know, there are people who, by their actions, uh, don't deserve love oftentimes, or at least you feel that way. And one of the greatest challenges is to love someone who doesn't deserve love. 
And this is really, really hard, and it takes an immense amount of practice. And I think probably in reality there are very few people who are truly able to give unconditional love to everyone. Uh, certainly the Dalai Lama, uh, Amma, the Hugging Saint, and uh, others have that innate ability. But for average people, it's really difficult. But the more you're able to do that, the more you're able to recognize that a lot of individuals' behaviors are uh, baggage that uh, they've carried since childhood. And it's that baggage that is manifesting through their present actions. And if you look at it through that lens, you feel deep sorrow and you feel empathy uh, for what they're experiencing. But that doesn't necessarily translate in a free pass to continue to behave that way or to continue very negative actions. It's just that you acknowledge why that may have occurred. But all of us, all at the end of the day, are responsible for our actions. As much as we would like to avoid uh, the pain of those, that is reality. And so I think that is a challenge, if you will, to being compassionate. But clearly, love is acceptance and uh, fundamentally compassion. I wrote down uh, from your book the... I can't remember if you call it the alphabet of love or... or the alphabet of the heart. Yes. alphabet of the heart, yes. Where you've got compassion, dignity, equanimity, forgiveness, gratitude, humility, integrity, justice, kindness, and love. And I think you do say that love contains all virtues. And I was, of course, rather, rather pleased to... To read that and and to learn that, so I feel that I've kind of taken on quite something to bring love into, particularly the environments and the the places where decisions are made about all our lives in uh, in the corporate world, in boardrooms, in governments, where there's a distinct. There can be a distinct lack of any kind of love or compassion. And what I want to do is, is to, is to sort of embrace the, the work of people, of, of yourself and the Dalai Lama, Ama, all these people who have in a way perfected, if one can ever perfect, because we're all ongoing, learning, changing and growing. But, People who are able to feel love in spite of difficult circumstances and in spite of bad behavior and in spite of and being able to see the person rather than and and their wholeness rather than just their behavior so that we we learn to accept and to offer unconditional love uh not that I expect that to necessarily happen in the corporate world, but I feel that there's a great opportunity in these times to waken to waken people up and just nudge them in little ways that can have a very profound effect um, no, no matter who it is so do you have any any role models who manifest the kind of leadership based on love and care trust and compassion I, I know you've been quite close to the Dalai Lama and are there any other people you feel 
would be great for me to talk to or great exemplars of of what we are discussing in terms of love and compassion. Well, certainly, you know, I've had the joy and the pleasure to be uh, or to have relationships with a variety of evolved spiritual leaders, uh, such as the Dalai Lama, Amma, Thich Nhat Hanh, Archbishop Tutu, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, Eckhart Tolle, Brian Katie, and a whole variety of others. And, you know, these people live above dogma. Uh, they understand that the most important characteristics are kindness, caring, and love. And the other is dogma that can be helpful for some people, but it's not necessary. In terms of the corporate world, certainly I think one example is the founder of the former CEO of uh, LinkedIn, whose name I can't recall at the moment, is certainly one. There's actually a fellow who, I'm sorry, my memory is failing me at the moment. Uh, there's a fellow who is from Australia who actually ran an organization, and and I, I can look both of these up later, but who ran an organization and they did a 360 review, and basically the results were scathing, especially for him. And he went home and he said to his wife, I can't believe uh, that you know they would say this about me. What do you think of that? And his wife looked at him and said, well, they're exactly right. And he said, well, how come you've never told me? And she said, I've been telling you for 20 years. You just weren't prepared to listen. And this then put him on a life journey where – he actually ended up becoming a Buddhist uh, with his uh, mentor being Solgo Rinpoche, who wrote the book of Living and Dying. And he implemented many of these changes in the company. And not surprisingly, this led to a dramatic increase in productivity and ultimately a big increase in shareholder value, which fundamentally proved what all of what we're talking about is, in fact, correct. So I, I can try and find those uh, names for you if you'd like. Yes, I, or I can, I, I guess I can probably look them off anyway. Um, well, if you have any problems, let me know. Yeah. Uh, so is there anything I, you wish I'd asked you or anything that you'd like to add? Uh, well, I would suggest to you that those people who are connected with this part of themselves in terms of compassion and love actually have great power, and that power ideally is used to spread the message that we're talking about, acceptance, uh, non-judgment, and embracing the other. And uh, that makes our allows us to thrive, both as human beings, but also to actually uh, have a profound impact on our health. So I think that covers it. Yes, it certainly does. And a big thank you, Dr. Doty. I really enjoyed talking to you about love, compassion, and leadership. So, until the next time, this is Christine Miller and the Loveworks Discourses at loveinthevoardroom.com.